Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well today. It's the it's only a one show uh, week this week. We weren't able to record earlier in the week due to some other things that both of us had, but uh, a lot has transpired and we have quite a bit to talk about. Something happened like immediately after we signed off last week. So that that's a bit of an overdue conversation, but we'll get to that and we'll get to another managerial firing. We'll get to another angels legitimacy check and yeah. we'll get into the greatest managerial decision probably in history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess the biggest news of the past week has been, uh, yeah, Joe Madden was indeed fired. That was in the midst of a 14-game losing streak that uh, was ended last night in the most Angels way possible almost. Like Shohei Otani gets the win. Shohei Otani uh, gets a two-run home run. Um, and, then just, and then just Andrew Velasquez hits a home run. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, the only thing that was missing was like a Mike Trout home run. and But he was also hurt. Yeah. And then Brazil Iglesias gets the save, who is usually a little better than uh, he is this season. But the Angels fired Joe Madden. Um, and yeah, after their 14 game losing streak, they were four games below 500. Now they're three games below 500. Um, so they just kind of crashed and burned for two weeks and um, fired Joe Madden. And I mean, I don't know. It's what are our, what were kind of our thoughts on, on Joe Madden? Um, I mean, I'll start with my thoughts just on the angels in general. I think it's wild that Mike Sosha managed the team for like almost two decades and he retired after he was, he resigned, I guess, after 2018 and since then, they are on their third manager. Yeah. Like, the first true. guy after him lasted a year. The second guy lasted two and a half years. Right, right. Um, so, they've had a lot of trouble in the in the manager department uh, since the end of that big era with Mike Sosha. Yeah, like, uh, it's, been, it's been interesting because it's kind of a weird balance of what's to blame here with the Angels. Because, like, you know, since Mike Sosha got fired, um, they've had like the since Mike Sosha got fired, they've been kind of in the same position ever since then, uh, like kind of a middle of the road 500 team. If I'm thinking back correctly, like yeah, that's that's been what they've been, and that's what they are right now in 2022 is a team that's you know hovering around 500, uh, and you know it's. Sure, a, a, uh, an elite manager would, would do better with this team. If Kevin Cash was managing this team, uh, maybe they'd be a little bit better. But there is a lot to blame with, and we 
it's been talked about endlessly, you know, everywhere is team construction. Um, you know, they've had, they have two, maybe three stars if you count Rendon. I mean, that was more kind of the, at the beginning of his contract, but you have two big stars and, and they haven't been able to build around them at all. At, at a point, it was Mike Trout who they weren't able to build around. And uh, I think like, I don't know. I mean, I guess this 14 game losing streak kind of signified that in a way. Yeah. The 14 game definitely did. I mean, like this feels very similar, if not like parallel to the conversation we had last week when the Phillies fired Joe Girardi, like they were hired within the same off season. And Ever since they started their tenure, we've just been talking about underperformance. That's been the conversation with them the entire time, right? Like 2020, the Angels missed the expanded playoff. 2021, they come in as definitely not division favorites, but division hopefuls and playoff hopefuls as well. They finished yeah. under 500. Yeah. Like, we're so conditioned to it at this point that it really doesn't get enough attention. Like, I, I know that Mike Trout missed a lot of last year, but Shohei Otani put on the year that everyone dreamed of. And they and there were other good pieces to the team. Patrick Sandoval broke out when he was healthy. You know, like Rendon, he wasn't healthy either, but he was, you know, good while he could be there. Same with Trout. Like, they just, they couldn't get it going. And they, you know, at some point, something's got to change because it's such a, it's such a tired conversation, but it's valid that every single every single year is the same conversation of we need to get these, these superstar players like Taylor Ward to the playoffs, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, with, with the angels, like they're during that uh, 14 game losing streak, they had the second worst weighted runs created plus. And it was like Mike Trout was struggling and it was maybe kind of a thing of like, you know, one of your what and also Taylor Ward was hurt who you know he wasn't really expected to be anything but he's been you know like an all-star caliber player this year uh however like you know Ward was out Trout was struggling so and the rest of the lineup didn't really step up outside of I'm looking at the stats now outside of like Max Stassi and Matt Duffy uh you know there wasn't really much stepping up from the rest of the lineup like during that losing streak Andrew Velasquez uh had a negative 21 weighted runs created plus uh Brandon Marsh struggled mightily with a negative 17 weighted runs created plus um Tyler Wade at a 43 weighted runs created plus Luis Fernandez at 43 Joe Adele at 73 um so there was just kind of a you know if you can't have when Mike Trout's struggling, you're probably going to need other guys to step up, and that wasn't the case. I mean, Shohei Otani did kind of what he could, but yeah, uh, he, he kind of he struggled in the pitching department for one or two starts, and um, was kind of average offensively as it looks. He had a 109 weighted runs created plus during the losing streak, but um, he inevitably was the uh, main guy that that snapped the losing streak because he's just the winning pitcher and he, um and he uh and and he hit a two-run home run um so 
so yeah I, I guess it's a thing of like they're just not deep enough um you know if- which is so wild how much how much do you need there's also the, the factor of that simply everyone else that's not the superstars have just been bad like you haven't gotten the production that you got that you expected out of joe adele really ever and we're starting to get to a point where we're actually considering like is it time to move on from him but like i mean also another thing you can just point to the fact that like tyler wade and andrew velasquez are your is your middle infield right now yeah that's they're great defenders but two guys that are giving you a 60 weighted runs created plus like that's not going to cut it ever. Uh, yeah. And... In fact, the, sorry, but the angels, the second base and shortstops have a, on the angels all year have a 60 weighted runs created plus that's the worst in baseball. Yeah. And this comes after uh, an off season in which Carlos Correa, Trevor story, uh, mm-hmm. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon. Uh, who, there's another. Several others. It was the. It was the off season of the Javier Baez. Javier Baez, they were, yeah. They were all on the market <laughs> for the Angels to improve their middle infield. And there was even like Josh Donaldson on the trade market, Andrew or uh, Isaiah Connor Falefa on the trade market, like anything would have worked better than Tyler Wade and Andrew Velasquez as your everyday shortstop and second baseman. If you have one of them, so be it. You can't have both. You're not going to succeed in that scenario. Yeah. Like (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Like uh, it just, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. And yeah, I'm looking at their, uh, at their salary, at you know, value of guaranteed contract, which is basically their payroll. And they're at 149 million. That's mm-hmm. uh, 50. That's about 60 million below the luxury tax. Um, they had, you know, they had money to <laughs> to spend and and you know not only spend but provide more excitement excitement to the fan base and maybe sell some tickets, um, yeah. and and sell some merchandise by getting, like, I mean, Correa Correa signed with the Twins. He didn't sign with a big market team. No, he like the Angels could have used him if they were really desperate for to go all in this year. They could have signed Korea as like a stopgap and be like, hey, let's just get this guy for one year. Like it's only one year of having to pay him a lot of money. I know that we'll probably be over the luxury tax, but we'll probably get right under assuming he opts out and goes elsewhere. Yeah, like uh, how about we take advantage of the prime of two of the most (laughs) elite players in baseball? And, yeah. uh, and add another guy who's an elite player in his prime. In Carlos I'm just Gray. doing some more, some more digging on these and guys. Then, because and then uh, when you go to the pitching side, it's also like, you know, it's a bad turn through the rotation, but the guys having that bad, ter- bad turn are, you know, like I, I can't insult the Angels rotation too much, but it's, there's not, a number one besides potentially Shohei Otani. Like, I guess mm-hmm. Shohei Otani, like, he, he, you could consider him a number one. I mean, Sandoval has been performing like an ace. Um, what was his, what was his last start? His I, last start. I just remember his ERA went up like a, a good amount. 
Yeah, but I mean, you could still, like, I don't think there's any reason to believe that he's still at a 281 ERA and a 285 FIP. Like, he's been performing like an ace this year. He hasn't given up a home run yet, knock on wood. His yeah. last start was June 5th against the Phillies. It was the, uh, it wasn't very good. Four and two thirds innings, two earned runs, four walks, four strikeouts. Not, still not the worst outing, though. Like, four and two thirds, two earned runs. Like, you still are in a position to win that game. It's not the greatest position, but it's possible. Yeah, it, that's true. Um, well, I, I believe guess he's pitching tonight. Yeah. We also, I, Lorenzen's been overperforming for them as well, Michael Lorenzen. True, true. Um, he's at a 3.69 ERA, 3.85 FIP. Yeah, I guess that's what I would be saying is like, uh, I'm trying to look at his salary also. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. He can't be like, you know, the Angels have aren't spending that much in the rotation. They I mean they signed Syndergaard to what 21 million dollars. Something um, like that. It was like a round qualifying offer. So like there's that, but like Patrick Sandoval is currently in in pre-arbitration. Uh, Shohei Otani's in arbitration. Reed Detmers is in pre-arb. Yeah, Reed Detmers in, is in pre-arbitration. Lorenzen, uh, they probably got on a one-year deal. Yeah. That was less than – definitely 10 mil. Probably even less – probably that's even probably an overstatement. Yeah, and they had – and, you know, the – One-year, seven mil. Yeah, they're playing him $7 million. And that was when, you know, the 2021 AL Cy Young was – was out there. Uh, Kevin Gosman was out there. Obviously, Max Scherzer was out there. Um, Carlos Rodon, if they wanted a shorter term option, was out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it like you know, it, even also in the trade market, you know, there were there were potential. They could have snagged Sean Maniah if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, but just haven't. Marcus Stroman was out there. Marcus Stroman is. I know that he's been underperforming, but you know, I mean, he probably wouldn't. To be honest, he probably wouldn't fit into this Angels rotation right now. Everyone has been. Uh, they have five starters that have a above average ERA plus, and that's in a offensive climate that isn't very good. So it's probably harder to accumulate that. Yeah, but I guess over a 162 game season, mm-hmm. that's kind of hard to rely on. And you know, if you're looking to have a playoff team, you want guys you can rely on in the playoffs also um and yeah i mean like what we were talking about last week with the angels was you know the, at the time they had an eight game losing streak and it was kind of a bad turn to the rotation and there just wasn't quite the the stopper they needed for a little bit like it you know it would have been nice if they could have had uh just like even just carlos rodon to be in the middle there to maybe potentially put a stop to the losing streak. But I just want to say, and I think this is kind of like, I know that there's a lot of recency bias and a lot of people might be jumping off ship. And I think that you and I are both on the same page here, but I'm not giving up on the angels this year. I still think they very much could make the playoffs. I think the division is probably over. They're already down by nine games to the Astros. They're still in second of the division, which is really funny because everyone else has just been underperforming. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Um, but like they're two and a half games out of the third wild card spot. 
Uh, Boston, you know, they've been winning a lot of games. Cleveland has been, uh, I think, overperforming. They're 27 and 26. The White yeah. Sox have been underperforming, and who knows, who knows how legit that is because – Honestly, I'm kind of starting to see reasons to believe that maybe this might be – I don't think they're a below 500 team, but are they a team that could miss the playoffs? I could see it right now. What, the Red Sox? The White Sox. Oh, the White Sox, yeah. That's true. It's, Unless uh, they do yeah. something at the trade deadline, which we'll have to wait and see on that one. But Yeah, very true, very true. Um, especially if – they hold on to uh to management um but anyway yeah like i don't know with with the angels i i don't know like maybe it's recency bias but i'm I, i'm kind of losing hope like it's they got phil nevin at the helm mm-hmm. i'm just not <laughs> i'm not quite inspired by that um i'm not quite inspired by the roster especially if uh, Ward is hurt. Mike Trout is potentially hurt. Is he like day to day right now? He's day to day. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's there's still there's still a lot of season left though. Yeah, but I I just see the I think the I just see the Mariners kind of turning it around. I see the White Sox, um, eventually turning it around. Uh. And I, I see the teams above the Angels right now just staying above them. And, uh, like, I think my assessment of the Angels being a third-place team in the AL West and out of the playoffs, uh, I think I think I feel like that'll be a, a correct assumption. I think that'll be kind of – they're exactly on track to where they will be, in my mind, because I think All right. the Mariners uh, – I see the Mariners overtaking them, like – just uh, like looking at their team, I think there's just too many guys that are underperforming right now. Like, uh, you know, just like Jesse Winker um, hasn't been hit. Like, I don't Robbie think- Ray. Have you seen that stat, by the way, on like Robbie Ray's worst inning versus like every other inning? Um, no. So Robbie Ray, every time he starts, he'll have one blow up inning. And someone, someone, I'm going to try to find this, but. Uh, I want to say in like his worst, like in his worst inning combined in every start, his ERA is like 20 something. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Here it is. Okay. So in Robbie Ray's worst inning of a start, he has a 24.55 ERA. And in his, in every other inning, uh, 54 and two thirds innings pitched a 0.99 ERA. So yeah, the, the basic <laughs> assumption is, with that is, is he always has one blow up in it. Yeah. So that's would mean if you divide that by nine, that's uh, so he allows like 2.7 run earned runs per, per bad inning. inning. So mm-hmm. like, you know, that's about three, which is like, yeah, like, uh, he just has an occasional blow up inning, and I think like that's with the with the home runs. Like when guys get on base, he's just probably allowing some home runs and providing some blow up innings for himself. Um, but yeah, that's the Mariners. I mean, like uh, 
you know, I, I think it's, yeah. And I should be kept on the Mariners. Like, I think I'm going to, if they, if they do eventually get hot and get near a playoff spot, I, I'm trying not to be someone who's going to be like all surprised, in surprised by that. Okay. Um, yeah, they've had, they have had some, some solid performers. They've had some underperformers, right? Yeah. Ty France has been awesome. JP Crawford's been solid. Julio Rodriguez is really putting it together right now, but like, I mean, you need to ask more from Jesse Winker. You probably could get more out of Adam Frazier. I know that he's not going to be like the the leader of that offense, but you could definitely ask more than a 241 batting average out of him. Yeah, very you know, I'm not going to ask too much out of the OBP and slugging because that just hasn't been who he is. The catcher position has been pretty bad. Like Tom Murphy was been was good for a while, but he went on the IL. Mitch Hanniger has been out. It's tough for like Mitch Hanniger. I know that he – has had better days, but like, that's the, that's the leader of this team. Like that's the vocal leader of the Seattle Mariners. You know, he had that article in the players tribune that came out over the winter last year about, you know, saying that we're going to end this effing drought. Like when he's not there, it's, it's tough. And he's been out, he's played nine games this year. So, you know, they need, they certainly needed a guy like him back just for the, just for the vibes really. Um, the bullpen also has not been a very good uh, factor for them. Like it was like the reason they were in the position they were in last year at the end of the season was strictly because of their bullpen. Like people pointed to their bad run differential and their record in one run games. That was because they had a subpar offense and an amazing bullpen. Now they have a subpar offense and a subpar bullpen. And this is what right. this, these are the results we're seeing. They are 26 and 31 with that kind of talent. Like you got to expect better out of them. And I think that everything will come back up eventually. I don't know how much they are really capable of, but we're going to have to see. Yep. Very true. Very true. But going back to the angels, like um, in terms of management, it's just like, Man, like it's hard. It's hard to talk about manager firings because you don't know how how effective that really is. But like, especially because midseason, like very rarely do we see manager firings at this point. That's yeah, very true. Unless it's, and very rarely is it a team that's is it with a team that's like there's still potential for them to be a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Usually, usually if it's something like this, it's like. Um, it's, it's like a team that's destined to be des- destined to be in last place. Um, mm-hmm. that's not the case right now. Um, the only other, I'm sure there have been others that I'm just missing, but the only other midseason manager firing that comes to mind was in 2018 when the Reds fired Brian Price when they started like three and 15. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the team I'm thinking of. Um, but yeah, like with so like the Padres firing the Padres firing Andy Green, but that was in like September and it just didn't matter at that point. Yeah, like when there's still time left in the season is I guess what I'm referring to when I'm talking about midseason managerial firings. Like if it's September and you're already out of the race, it, it means nothing to me. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, with Phil, with Phil Nevin, like I'm. 
you know, it's probably just another like Joe Madden type in a way, except it doesn't have as many cool quotes at the end of games. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, and I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see that and get expired, inspired, but I still think there's a chance. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a chance. I, I don't know. I don't know if it, what the Angels need is like an excellent manager to utilize the team or if they just need general management change um, in order to build a better roster. Um, their, uh, their current elimination number is 99. All right. So the countdown's on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Angels fired Joe Madden, a, uh, a team that's also underperforming and maybe would consider firing their boomer type manager. Well, I don't even know if he's a boomer or if he's the next generation after that, but he's literally what, 77 years old? Tony Larusa? Uh oh yeah, no, he's he might like not even be I don't think he qualified he qualifies as a boomer. He's 77. The boomer generation started started where they were born in 1946. He was 1944. Yeah, he's not even a boomer. <laughs> yeah. He was born in 1944. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yeah, so outside of the boomer generation, but. He was alive when, when World War II was happening. Uh, that's very true. And, yeah. and he didn't do anything about it either, which yeah, is really he disappointing. Just, he just sat there. Yeah, like he was on this earth in 1944. And what did he do about World War II? He was just crying. Yeah. Just crying all the time. Well, it didn't even have a job, probably. Yeah, lived with his parents. This was, yeah, like this, Tony LaRusso has been a red flag ever since he was born, really. Very true. Very true. Um, Yeah. However, uh, very into analytics, apparently, now. This is, like, my favorite thing about this entire thing was... Like his quotes after the game and just the clear, like just the mis- like the, the way that he's been treated for it. Like if Kevin Cash pulled this exact thing, like people would still clown him, but there would be a different reaction. Yeah. Like there's such a clear double standard when Tony La Russa tries to use analytics as a response to why he did something. Like, like he gets, Tony La Russa gets treated like, like a, a middle-aged dad trying to be hip and cool like around his his kids and their friends yeah it's very true it's like yeah and anytime he tries to do I, I could see that narrative like anytime he tries to do something new somewhat new age it's like, like it's oh, almost you... it's almost like he's trying to be parody yeah it's like oh hey oh larusa you you pulled your pitcher after 110 pitches like stop being start stop trying to be so analytical yeah um <laughs> we should probably talk about what he actually did yeah you, do you want to get into that so yesterday afternoon the white Sox ended up losing to the dodgers 11 to 9 and wow. yeah in the sixth inning this is when really it all transpired. I'm just pulling up the exact box score so I can get this precise. 
But um, the White Sox brought in Bennett Souza, who is a lefty, to face Trey Turner. And I just I just accidentally cleared my tabs, so I didn't mean to. No, I didn't. Never mind. Um, anyway, they brought in Bennett Souza, who is a lefty, to face Trey Turner. So the the first pitch of the at bat was, hang on, everybody need to cut this. Okay, so the first pitch of the at bat to Trey Turner was a called strike and a foul ball. So it's 0-2. 0-2 to Trey Turner. It's also, by the way, there's two outs in the inning and a guy on a guy on the White Sox are already down by two at this point. Guy on first. And he throws a he throws a ball, ball one, one and two, and then he gets intentionally walked. On a one-two count, Trey Turner gets intentionally walked. And Max Muncie then hits a three-run home run because there is no, there is exact justice in the world. Karma is real. God is real. Yeah. The baseball gods at least are real. And they did the perfect thing to, to, to this. And Larusa, after the game, was asked about the decision. Did you see his exact response? Um, I heard about it. I didn't see the yeah. exact response. Verbatim, he was like, is that even a question? <laughs> like i swear to god he was trying to be parody like he was trying to be like oh well yeah this is this is what you got to do like you got to just pull out the most obscure stuff so anyway he cited the fact that trey turner hits well at, with two strikes and max muncie doesn't hit well against lefties so i i pulled out the stats because like i promise you tony la Russa is not going to fan graphs I, i'm just gonna tell you that right now yeah probably not um he's he's getting that from somewhere else but trey turner i looked at his stats uh every season of his career against lefties with two strikes i decided to be a little more specific in 2020 and 2021 he was very good admittedly 2020 he had a 149 weighted runs created plus 2021 he had a 174 weighted runs created plus but in 2022 He's been okay. He has a 105 weighted runs created plus against lefties with two strikes. And that's in 31 plate appearances. He's slashing 259, 355, 377, 25. So maybe like, I'll just give Tony LaRusso the benefit of the doubt here for just a second and say that he's looking at the broader picture, the, the larger sample sizes of 2020 and 2021 as to why he made this decision. Okay, that's kind of weird. Max Muncy. In 2020, against lefties as a whole, had a 121 weighted runs created plus. In 2021, a 158 weighted runs created plus. In 2022, a 75 weighted runs created plus. So he's going off of the notion. So for one guy, he's going off of the notion that historically he hits lefties well, or he hits with two strikes well, but the other guy isn't hitting well this season, but he, but historically he does. Like he's going off of two different sample sizes for each of them and it's just very inconsistent and it makes doesn't make any sense yeah like do you understand what i'm saying here chris i'm trying to i'm trying to explain this as best as possible but i'm i'm following it all the way yeah yeah. like trey turner hit very well previously but he's not doing it this year but he did it previously max muncie isn't doing it well this year but he has done it well in the past and throughout his career but he's not doing it well right now like he's there's no consistency there whatsoever. And this, this is my favorite stat that I found in researching this. Uh, 
there is a zero percent chance it was what was looked at in this case but i would just love to live in a world where this is uh what we went with so in 2022 uh trey turner with two strikes has an sops plus which means a split ops plus relative to the whole league of 149 that means with two strikes he is 49 percent above the average hitter uh, based on league sample size. Now, Chris, would you like to guess what the uh, league OPS with two two strikes has been this season? Uh, league OPS with two strikes um, is like 521. You are very close. It is, I believe, 512. I checked yesterday and it was 512. Yeah. Which is horrific. That being said, Trey Turner with two strikes, has a 232 batting average with a 626 OPS this year. Like, not not counting the handedness of the pitcher. So, like, you see the 149 SOPS plus, and you think, oh, he's really good. He's not. He's, he's better than average, way better than average, but the average is horrific, and he's also just not good. Yeah. I mean, this also makes me curious of, like, what Ben Asosa is like with two strikes. Uh, because, like, I don't think Tony looked deep that deep into it. I, I think he simply looked into the matchup. But anyway, Max Muncy has had reverse splits his entire career. He hits lefties better. He just happens to not be doing it this year. But he also just hasn't been hitting well in general this year. But he also just came off the IL. So maybe he was playing with an injury. Who knows? Point is, it was a stupid move. <laughs> There's no yeah. other way of looking at it. Like if you're going to walk Trey Turner simply to get to a, a favorable matchup, a walk him before you take the batter out and B just walk him before you even get him to two strikes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know. It's, it's just like, if, if you have to do this much analysis for a move, it's just not, it's not worth doing. It's not worth walking a guy with a one-two, <laughs> especially with two outs and a guy on first when you're already losing. It's not like the game was on the line right there. Like they, like you could make an argue that the game was lost there because the White Sox went on to score a lot more runs and thus the three-run home run might not have happened and they could have won. But in that scenario, you know, at face value, it doesn't look like the game is on the line. Yeah, and like I'm looking at um, when, yeah, I mean, like Sousa has a better slugging against when he, ha- when he has two strikes on, on a guy also like by 100 points. Um, so, But then why didn't Tony bring that one up specifically? But also so- at the same time, why are you going to like – why like how can you have that little confidence in your pitcher like oh shoot that's the second swing and miss we got to take him out yeah it's it's so weird like sometimes sometimes like i think this term gets used over it gets used the wrong way a lot but like baseball common sense like sometimes people will use it for like oh baseball common sense you got first and second with nobody out you gotta bump the guy over even if you have Mike Trout up to the plate. You got to bump the guy over, bump bump both of them over. Like that's not baseball. That shouldn't be used. But I think it is. I think it would be considered baseball common sense uh, not to walk, not to intentionally walk a guy with a one-two count 
with Max Muncie on deck. Um, like, first of all, like, it's it's also what it was the sixth inning. Yeah. So no sense in putting another guy on for Max Muncie to drive in when you have <laughs> when you're ahead in the count. I just don't. It's like if you're gonna know. intentionally walk a guy mid at bat, maybe it's like two zero, and you're just like, yeah, forget it. And like that happens sometimes, and it usually doesn't get that much attention. Other than like maybe you know the home the home broadcast trying to market their guys being like, look at that, they won't even they're not even bothering at this point. Yeah, even even if it's a three two count, and also like, hey, if it's a one two count, you can just throw it out of the zone and try to get him to chase. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know that Trey Turner isn't the best guy to try to get to chase, but I think like. The, th- the next point that I was going to go to, and I'll just go to it now since we're kind of there, but, you know, I don't think Tony found this information himself. I highly, highly, highly doubt that. And I don't think most, I think most managers don't find out information like that by themselves. Yeah. No. Like there's an analytics department, you know, Rick Hahn maybe, maybe found it, but I think before the series, the information was brought to Tony in the sense of, Hey, Trey Turner hits very well with two strikes. So if you get him to two strikes, don't go straight after him. Like be like, still be a little more cautious, like treat it like it's, I don't want to say treat it like you're behind in the count, but treat it like you're not ahead in the count. Like, I think that's the context in which they were bringing that information to Tony. I can't imagine they were like, Hey, don't even bother pitching to him with two strikes. Yeah. Yeah. When, (laughs) yeah. When it's one, when it's one ball and two strikes, uh, you, you just got to give him the four, give him the three fingers. Yeah. Um yeah, it just it it's it's definitely an over analysis and it's like yeah, yeah. Especially with it's Max Muncie on deck. He's a great hitter. <laughs> I know that he hasn't been hitting well this year, but it's still Max Muncie. It was a small sample size and he just came off the IL. Like there's a reason to believe that he's a different guy than he was the rest of the season. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, but anyway, the fact that he homered just is proof that justice exists in the world. Like, everyone, you know, made fun of the Angels for walk, for intentionally walking Corey Seager with the bases loaded to bring in a run, but they ended up winning that game. So it kind of, like, so Joe Madden got away with that. If Max Muncy struck out there, like, Tony LaRusso would have gotten away with this, and I'm very glad he didn't. Yeah. Fair, yeah. <laughs> that was just, uh, that was just dumb. Yeah. Uh, but I, the best part of it was just his response. Like he, he totally tried buying it. Like I know that it wasn't authentic. Like if you just, if you just watch the video of his press conference, you can absolutely tell that it wasn't authentic in him defending his decision. Right. Like he was trying so hard to be someone like Kevin Cash, someone like Alex Cora, someone like, you know, just a guy who uses analytics heavily. Yeah, very true. And it, you could just tell that he didn't mean it. Yeah, no. And you could also just tell how because I remember he was like, "Do you do you know what he hits with two strikes? Do you know what the guy behind him hits against lefties?" Like he was asking those questions, and it's like, "Well, if you know, then why don't you tell us?" Yeah, that's true. Like at least, like at least give us a ballpark. Maybe like you don't have to know the exact number. Just being like, "Yeah, that guy's hitting around three thirty with with two strikes." Not even the case, but. If you're if you're so bent on hey this guy hits really well well what does he hit like you clearly know enough if you made that move 
Yeah, you can't act like it's the obvious decision when you intentionally walk the guy with a one-two count. There, there has to be like obviously that's an unusual thing to yeah. do. Yeah, like well, duh. You can't it's like, have, are, are you, you are like, you telling you guys, me you guys are the weirdos <laughs> for not knowing? Are you telling me you would have you would have gone after him and tried to get him out yeah. when you were already ahead in the count by a lot? Yeah, you're gonna try and strike out Trey Turner with two strikes. <laughs> Like even if you're not, even if you're still weary about his his numbers with two strikes, like pitch around him, like don't intentionally walk him. Yeah, yeah, like like you could three, you could. This is not a great you know place to put your pitcher. This is not a great position to put your pitcher in, but be like, hey, kind of try to work around him here, and then we'll we'll worry about the next guy. Yeah, I mean that's just, that's the strategy with like. Like any hitter on a one-two count, yeah. like I think there, it's kind of a rule. Like a rule of some pitching coaches have is like if it's o two or one two, don't, don't throw, throw a pitch in the zone. zone. Yeah, um, or even if you're going to, don't throw it, you know, right down the middle. Yeah, I wonder if I can find. Oh yeah, I can literally go on Savant one-two count. I'm going to go to league statistics this year. Uh, I guarantee everything. Yeah, I guarantee it's like sixty percent out of the out zone. Of the zone pitch percentage on one-two yeah. counts. Um, or, you can even you could probably even go further and go one two 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 three two. Yeah. Uh. Only I have to change pitch parameters. Yep. To um, to, to count right. Count. Um. Yeah. Sixty one point eight percent of the time it's out of the yep. zone compared to um when it's not a one two count. It is. I have to click on all of these, but I bet it's still out of the zone a decent amount. When it's not a one-two count, but just for comparison's sake, like yeah, sixty-one point eight percent of the time. That is pretty excessive. One-two count, like that's above average compared. That's nearly. To that's nearly two-thirds of the time. It's fifty point one percent of the time. Yeah, that's a substantial difference. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, like, yeah, just throw it out as a throw it out. I also hate that this is like all the all the anti analytics people are are trying to be like, well, this is what the people want. Yeah, like, no, this is no. this is the future of baseball. No, no one, no one has ever, no one in the world has ever advocated for this. I tweeted yesterday. Like there are two instances throughout the history of baseball where it's understandable to intentionally walk a guy in a one-two count. One of them is you forgot that you were facing Barry Bonds midway through the at-bat. And the other one is you forgot that a pitcher was on deck midway through the at-bat. And even in the second case, like you should probably still just pitch to him. Pitch to the eight hitter or the seven hitter if you're weird, if the other man yeah. is weird. No. And guess what? Neither of those reasons are valid in 2022. There's no pitchers hitting, and Barry Bonds is 15 years out of the league. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. It's pretty stupid. What was it, what was going on stupid. there? Yeah. It, yeah. That's not like analytics is. Basically, analytics is like maybe not going, maybe going with a righty-lefty matchup because both guys have reverse splits or like not bunting your guy over who's that because you're giving up an out yeah (laughs) um that's that's kind of the more advanced way to go about things not 
walking a guy with a one-two count. It's just, uh, every time I say it, I'm reminded how ridiculous it is. Um, all right, so that was a that was a fun that was a fun thing that happened I that was an awesome happened. it was it gave us a good laugh for sure like it, chris you need to go watch the the press conference because it is it is just a thing of beauty to to see him adamantly being like do you know what he hits with two strikes yeah it's like it's like ah i can't believe how uninformed all these reporters are they didn't check out the the one two data against lefties on Trey Turner before they asked these questions. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. White Sox are, yeah, 26 and 29. Oh, um, by the way, dude, I don't know if you saw this, but when the move was made, Max Muncy yelled from the on-deck circle, he has two strikes, Tony. And then he <laughs> proceeded to hit a three-run home run, which is just absolutely chef's kiss. It's so funny. And they literally lost by two, which on a, yeah. after a three-run homer. <laughs> It, it's it's amazing it's just amazing oh man baseball huh gotta love it gotta love that baseball gotta love it um <laughs> it's funny in the white Sox lineup as it has it on baseball reference jake berger is the leader in ops plus here it is i found it i'm i'm sending it to you right now but it's tim anderson then jake berger for them um all right well the russa so that's that's the tony la russa trey turner <laughs> max months you want to look at the video i just sent you i just sent you the press conference because it's you, know, you need to i want to see your live reaction to this because it's the funniest thing um okay one minute one second yeah 61 seconds <laughs> I guess the one two is the question. Do you know what he hits against left handers with one oh one or two strikes? You know he hits. Well, do you know what Muncy hits with two strikes? I guess left hand pitcher. Wait. Uh, is that right? <laughs> and then he said, "Do you know what Muncy hits with two strikes?" It's like, <laughs> like you don't. St- just because you ended the at bat with two strikes doesn't mean you get two strikes on months. <laughs> he may have just he may have just misspoke on that. I'll give I him think, the benefit of the I doubt. He did misspeak, but either way, still you get the point he was trying to make. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> him clearly. That's so funny. Like you misspeak like that. Like usually when you're getting defensive like that, that's true. Which is clearly what he was doing. Yeah, and clearly you could see that he's frustrated by like what a year and a quarter of just being called out for like not being you know not being in touch with the game not being in touch with the game so he's like i did the Which thing he keep, to be fair he's not doing himself any favors yeah like we've cited so many moments like the the shift st- statistics for aaron bummer like that's something that should have changed a while ago it still hasn't this is obviously the biggest offense there was the whole uh your mean mercedes williams Ostadio thing that happened last year like Tony hasn't done himself any favors. Like I feel like this whole thing, especially last year, has gone exactly the way that we, that we expected it would. Yeah, he's like, it's oh, like, yeah, he'll he'll have a talented roster that gets him to the playoffs, but he won't know what to do once he gets there, and that's exactly what happened last year. Yeah, he's like, oh, I d- I did the thing, I, yeah, I did the analytical thing. It would be like if um, if like 
if he was like some i don't know like a like a police officer and like there was stuff being there was consistently like a like shoplifting going on and he did nothing about it and then like and then he just got one with like a bazooka like, yeah like it's like whoa dude chill out like i got the i got the like, i got, I, the, I got the bad guy yeah of the crime yeah i oh, saved the world uh um but very funny i i don't know i kind of hope he just stays in the league i think he's just funny to talk about. <laughs> it's just funny um i also just feel bad for that team though because like he is so clearly holds them back yeah yeah like the, the white Sox don't deserve this like they no, like Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez, Jose Breu, Luis Robert, Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, like they deserve better. Like they like we've talked about this a little bit, but like this team was perfectly constructed to be on a five year run. Yeah. Completely running the AL Central and And we were talking about it like midway through the rebuild. Like usually you start talking about that towards the end of the rebuild when there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There was no light and we were like, This team is gonna be great. Like they've They've had Tim Anderson locked up. They they signed. Did they extend? Or, they signed Jimenez and Robert before they even stepped onto the field. I, yeah, yeah. They extended Robert and Jimenez before um, they ever stepped on a major league field. Um, they have Giolito for a while. Um, they extended Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn. They signed Yasmani Grandal to a four-year deal. Like they have set up that team to succeed for a while and then they 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 put in this guy feeling bad for um our friend our friend amy crawford yeah she just she deserves she of all people deserves better she absolutely does i think that's the biggest i think that's the biggest thing to take away from this whole thing really yeah amy crawford deserves better um she she may be listening right now and if if you are like we're feeling bad for you we're sorry yeah we wish they you know you you deserved, I guess what an AJ Hinch hiring. Yes, exactly that. Like he yeah. was available. <laughs> like he like Tony La Russa was hired before AJ Hinch. It's not like they lost out on him and that was just the their next best option. Like they yeah. chose him over AJ Hinch. Yes, who is Sam now was out there? Alex Poor was out there, but I don't think he would have gone to. I don't think that. I'm not even going to count that one. Yeah, it's AJ Hinch is all you need to know, really. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted to go to Chicago. And yeah. Straight and up denied. Picked... But um... I say they, I really just mean Jerry Reinsdorf because Rick Hahn didn't want this. Nobody else in the front office wanted this, and nobody else has wanted it ever since. Yeah, it was like there's only one man who really wants him there, and it's the only person whose opinion matters. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, Rick Hahn, yeah, Rick Hahn wouldn't just go out and like, set up the perfect team to succeed for five years and then hire a guy that's <laughs> you you don't know how long how much longer he's going to be managed. yeah like they fired rick Renteria the second that they had something like they were like all right this is going to be our guy through the rebuild like he'll just get us through these bridge years and then once we have something we're going to find our guy and they and like they had that all set up and jerry reinsdorf completely ruined the whole thing by hiring essentially another rick Renteria, but maybe worse yeah yep very very tough very tough like this would never happen but at what point do you think 
someone in the BBWA is like, hey, maybe we should rethink the plaque. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like if like i don't know like like what if i don't know i'm just gonna like what if larry walker came out of retirement and went over 2000 <laughs> like you would think people are like well he's not hall of fame worthy yeah i mean he brought his wins by replacement down by like 15 <laughs> yeah um yeah like that's a very funny comparison um yeah i mean if if LaRusso was managing, like, if LaRusso was managing the Angels, they would have lost 22 in a row, potentially. I don't know. Um, Shohei Otani would have bunted. Yeah. Shohei Oh, my God. Can you imagine him trying to manage Shohei Otani? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> he tries to, he tries to, like, take him out of a game, put him at DH, and then put him back at pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually would be sick. I've always wanted to imagine that scenario. Like, imagine, hear me out, a game where this has definitely been discussed before, probably even on the show, but, like, Shohei Otani goes six shutout innings. Uh, he's in line for the win. He goes to DH, and then they bring him back into the ninth to get the save. Um, like, that's technically possible. Yeah. Wait, he's... He's like the DH the whole game, and he's no, no, no. He's so he's the starting. So you know how there's the rule where he he can be a DH after he departs. Like that used to not be a thing until this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like imagine Shohei Otani enters the game as a starting pitcher. He like someone else is a DH. They make a defensive change to put him as DH. Maybe they take someone else out. Or no, they don't even have to do that. They just don't have a DH in the lineup until Otani becomes a DH. He's he never leaves the game. He's still in the game. And then he comes back as a pitcher in the ninth. Yeah, I think that's possible because I remember the Rays, the Rays, like... They used to do something like that. Before the three-batter minimum, they had, like, they would have one of their lefty pitchers, like, play first base for... For, like, one batter. Like, one batter. But, like, I, I thought you could... I thought the rules of baseball was, like, once a pitcher was out, you couldn't put him back in, but I think... So, the American that. League adopted the Shohei Otani rule, which meant that a guy could... Be, like you could just add a DH into the lineup afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Very funny. Um, awesome. But anyway, uh, I guess the last subject, the last piece of news to get into. Speaking of DHs, um, potentially uh, the best DH out there right now, uh, Jordan Alvarez got a six-year, one hundred fifteen million dollar contract. Um, he's currently in his third year of control, um, mm-hmm. I believe. So, I mean, it's it's a it's pretty aggressive. I, I would say pretty aggressive coming from the Astros um, because, you know, they weren't going to have to pay him as much as he was worth for the next three years. Um, but they decided to uh, to give him – it's basically it's basically going to be a three-year extension of his control. Um for uh, 115 million dollars so they're gonna have him through his age uh now i have to do the math i, yeah. I don't know how old he is i didn't realize he was okay so he's 25 now that's honestly older than i would have thought he was yeah Actually, so, no it's not no it's not he was 22 in 2019 that makes sense yeah so he's uh it takes him through his age 31 season and he could still get a good contract at that point too yeah, especially as a DH, like 
I mean, JD Martinez, I think after he was, I think after he was 31, maybe got a, a 110 million. Um, yeah. As a, as a D like as a primary DH and yeah, Alvarez is, is on that level or better, like could potentially be better. I think this is pretty team friendly, but like, it's not outrageously team friendly. It's not like a Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna, uh, Ketel Marte type of contract. Yeah, no, it's, it's not like, I, I wouldn't call it a Robbie robbery from any perspective. No, um, like it's just, a, it's a solid deal. I think maybe Ordon could have gotten more, but also like, you know, in this, in this scenario, you don't have to worry about arbitration. Like you're set for the next six years, you know, especially with the injury history that he's had, you don't have to worry about a history derailing his value because he's getting 115 million, no matter what happens from here on. And you could probably still get hit free agency and get a decent contract. Like he's, if he's going to be 31, you know, a five-year contract takes him into age 37 and he could get a similar type of average annual value if he stays at that type of level of production, which is, I think is entirely possible. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, with your word on Alvarez, like, I think, yeah, I think this is a great deal for the Astros for sure. Um, like they, I, I think it, is also team friendly in the sense that like this is not gonna there's no potential of like this run this like holding back the astros in in any way mm-hmm. unless Jordan straight straight up starts severely underperforming because age isn't going to be a factor in this contract at all um mm-hmm. it takes him right through his prime um and you know he'll probably still be in his prime uh, when the contract ends, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a great deal. I think it's a pretty, I think it's a fair deal all the way around considering where Alvarez was at in his control, because like when you consider contracts, like first year arbitration, like no one gets that much. I think the record for first year arbitration is like 11 million or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not quite that much. Um, and then, like, yeah, the rest of the contract. But yeah, Alvarez is getting close to twenty million a year in this contract as a DH, and as a guy who's um, still only in his third year of control. Yeah, I love it all the way around. I mean, he's—you don't have to dig too deep statistically to show how good he is. I mean, just—he's one of like a pure hitter. He's probably top ten in the league. Uh, yeah, I would say that. I mean, a career 158 OPS plus, uh, and when you look at, you know, exit velocity numbers and barrel rate numbers, he's, you know, red circles everywhere, near near 100 percentile and everything this year, especially. Uh, won an ALCS MVP uh, last year, um, and uh, the Astros are going to be so happy to have him around for you know what will end up being an extra three years uh yeah houston i think and and i don't know i think like it reminds me that houston since like 20 maybe 14 have just been so good at development the roster yeah 
Like they they keep the right guys around. Like, you know, you look at obviously you lose Correa, but Jeremy Pena has been solid. I'm not gonna say that he's been Correa level, but he's you know, he's been a productive hitter and just overall a productive player throughout the year. Jordan is a type of guy that you're not gonna see a lot of, and that's the guy that you want to keep around. Yeah, there's there's so not with, many there's not many your hitting talent like that. Yeah, it's just that that would be extremely hard to come by, especially like I feel like guy guys like Jordan Alvarez, you know, D eight power hitting DHs, they they're more like late developers and he's already developed into one of the best hitters in baseball. Like think about if I'm thinking about guys like JD Martinez and Nelson Cruz, who have been historically like the best DHs of recent years, those are older guys. But Alvarez is uh, you know, he's already elite um and oh yeah i'm looking at I, I didn't look at the contract breakdown of alvarez uh it says here on baseball reference in 2023 he's getting paid 7.83 million 2024 10.83 2025 15.83 so they're basically they front loaded it they're basically um uh like simulating arbitration and then the last three years He's making twenty six point eight three million each, um, so kind of like the uh, Wander Franco deal. Like it's okay. they're, they're kind of simulating arbitration. So they so they backloaded it then. Yeah, they backloaded it. Yeah, that's probably the best way to do it, for in Jordan's case, because like you know the years where you would be expected to make a lot of money are those last three years because that's your free agent years, and he's gonna make twenty six mil. You said in those three. Um. Yeah, twenty six point eight. Yeah, it's it's like it's like he signed a three year deal worth what's twenty six times three. It's like it's it's like he signed a three year deal worth eighty million plus plus uh not having to worry about arbitration. Yeah, very true. And with the opportunity to uh, make a lot of money after his thirties, and like you know, if from Jordan Alvarez's perspective, like he's making seven hundred thousand this year you're going to take that money, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not going to wait, not going to wait another three years to test out free agency. Um, especially when you're hitting, hitting the ball the way you are right now. Um, you want to take advantage of that for sure. Uh, and yeah, like just with the Houston Astros, they've just been like, I'm looking at their, um, at their, at their roster construction. They don't really like, they don't really sign a lot of guys. Um, they don't really sign too many guys like past uh, an alarming age. Like I'm looking at Jose Altuve's contract he goes through 2024, which is, is his age 34 season. Um, Alex Bregman, they ha- have signed through his age, um, age 30 season. They also, they got him quickly though. Bregman. Yeah, they did. They extended him very, very quickly. Yeah, five years, a hundred million, um, and like with with older guys, they've you know done like one two year one two year contracts. You know, Justin Verlander, they they uh, after they traded for him, they extended him for two years. Um, a little while after, Michael Brantley, they've you know kept around on uh, a, ser- a a pair of two year contracts. Um, like and everything's everything just worked out for them. They haven't really had any swings and misses, like no, <laughs> at all. They're just they're just smart people. 
yeah and you know like the only reason they didn't weren't able to keep Springer and Correa around were like I don't know it's just it's hard to keep all that talent around and all that no and they've found replacements like they haven't recreated them but they've replaced them yeah like yeah as you said Jeremy Pena is that there yeah they're surviving like their offense is so good that they could survive with guys like Jeremy Pena and like Chaz McCormick taking their places it's obviously not the same level of production but everyone else is so good where they can you know those guys are doing enough Jose Siri also, they've kept Michael Brantley around, which has been very solid. You know, you know what you're getting out of him. Kyle Tucker, they've obviously developed into a star as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's been um, it's been something for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's that's the Jordan Alvarez deal. I guess it's time to uh, get into players to highlight. Yeah. Um. All right, so now we will get into our hmm, Friday, June 10, 2022 edition of How About That? Um, who do you got for us today? I got two players on How About That today. My first one, uh, a lot of people have been talking about this guy. He's been otherworldly, and I don't take that phrase lightly. Alejandro Kirk of the Toronto Blue Jays. Ah. He's yours too, isn't he? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I it felt obvious, but I couldn't I couldn't not do it. Yeah. I, I, that's I why that's why I have two. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so since May 24th, he is slashing 488, 553, 878 with a 1431 OPS. He also has a 603 Woba and 305 weighted runs created plus which is absurd. He's one of four Blue Jays players in history to slash 480, 550, 875 over any 11-game span with at least 45 plate appearances. The other three who have done it are John Olrud in 1993, obviously, Brad Fulmer in 2000, Carlos Delgado in 2000. He is also the 14th player, age 23 or younger, to do so since 1975. The other other 13, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr., Keston Hira, Carlos Correa, Gary Sanchez, Bryce Harper, Jason Hayward, Miguel Cabrera, Buster Posey, Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, Ken Griffey Jr., Frank Thomas. Like, that is all good company, except for maybe Kesson Hira. But that is an elite level of talent to be in. Other than that, since May 24th, 24.3% of his batted balls have been at least 103 miles per hour and in the sweet spot, which means a launch angle of 8 to 32 degrees. That is tied for the second highest rate in baseball among the 204 hitters with at least 25 batted balls in that span. You know, we've talked so much about the Blue Jays office and offense and how lethal they are with guys like Vlad, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. The list goes on and on and on. But Alejandro Kirk has been carrying the offense over the stretch in which they are 10 and one in these 11 games that he's played in since May 24th. Um, since it, he's also my, how about that? Can I just add? Go right ahead. Uh, and, and we'll do a group one. Yeah. So you went, uh, you went an 11 game span. I'm talking about a 27 game span because that's yep. like, he's been doing it for uh, about a month where he's hitting 378 with a 1080 OPS and a 208 weighted runs created plus if you're doing that over a month i mean that's that's a very good trend um it is the first 27 game span of 2022 
with a 1050 plus OPS and eight or fewer strikeouts. Um, also in the span, his average ranks second, his on-base percentage ranks third, his OPS ranks fifth, and his rated runs created plus ranks second uh, in that 27 game span. Uh, his strikeout rate is the third lowest in the span out of 170 qualifiers. Uh, also out of 265 batters with 50 plus batted balls in that 27 game span. His expected batting average ranks first and his expected Woba ranks fifth. Um, and before, uh, before his elite 27 game span, his line drive rate was 17.3%, but in this span, it is 32.5%. And his line drive rate, line, line drive rate ranks 15th out of 265 um, in that span. Also, overall this year, his whiff rate is in the 98th percentile, and his chase contact rate is 83.3%, which is uh, way above MLB average. The MLB average for chase contact rate is 58.4%. So even when he's hit, swinging out of the strike zone, still making contact. Um, also, along with that, uh, in this 27-game span, his chase contact rate is 90.6%. And out of 214 batters to swing at 50 plus pitches out of the zone in this span, Kirk's chase contact rate is first. Um, so Alejandro Kirk is, he's like, it's, it was weird analyzing him because like, he's not, he's just putting the ball in play a lot. And that's kind of w w where he succeeded. He's hitting the ball pretty hard as well, but a lot of his success is just putting the ball in play which is kind of an old, old school way of going about it, but it's succeeding for him as he's had a, a 1080 OPS in 27 games. So uh, Alejandro Kirk from both of us getting A. Yeah. Um, all right, what's your uh, second half about that? So this guy uh, is not an under-the-radar name by any means, but I came across this stat and I just had to share it. I'm talking about Jose Abreu, who – uh, the White Sox broadcast kind of alluded to something like this, and I decided to dig deeper into it, and it was quite incredible what I found. So uh, Jose Abreu this year has had 41 plate appearances go to full counts, and he has 19 walks and one strikeout. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, his 19 walk-to-strikeout ratio leads the 7,664 seasons since 2004 with at least 20 plate appearances with the bases loaded. And this stat is completely irrelevant because like, you know, it, it like it can't, it, this can, that can only happen with, with a larger sample size, but I decided to share this anyway, because it's fun to just a note, but he also leads the 15,179 seasons with at least one plate appearances with the bases loaded since 2002 uh, in walk to strikeout ratio in a full <laughs> count. Obviously you need at least 19 plate appearances to even come close to that or to even attain that. Uh, and obviously this is probably something that's not going to last because all it takes is one walk is one strikeout for it to be cut in half. But I just needed to appreciate that while we had it. Yeah. Jose Abreu. Um, that's a pretty funny one. Uh, all right. So that goes, now we go from these highs to lows talking about players and subjects that have been underperforming with our, Friday, June 10, 2022 edition of... Slightly alarming. 
what do you got for us today? So I'm looking at Kevin Kiermeyer today of the Rays, mm. who just hasn't been getting it going. Uh, since May 27th, he is slashing 136, 136, 136. That means very low batting average, no walks, no extra base hits. Wow. It's just been 13.6% of the time he'll hit a single, and that's the production you're getting out of him since May 27th. Uh, both his OBP and his slugging are worst among the 189 qualifying hitters, but he has uh, park-adjusted statistics to thank for that because his negative 24 weighted runs created plus is only second to last. Wow. <laughs> yeah, shout-out to Brandon Marsh. Nice. Who you alluded to earlier, Chris. Uh, he is making hard contact around the league level. I believe his hard hit percent around this time in this span is around like 37%. So it's kind of around league average, maybe even above it. But he's not making the right kind of contact. Uh, over this span, 28.6% of his hard hit balls have been hit in the sweet spot, which is not good. The league average over that span is 40%. So... You know, even when he makes good contact, it's not where he wants it. It's either dug into the ground or it's popped up. It's not where it should be hit. So Kevin Kiermaier just has not been gotten it going. He also has a 34% strikeout rate, which is fifth worst among all qualifiers over that time. And when he does hit the ball hard, it's not going into the right place. Yeah, uh, Kevin Kiermaier. Slightly alarming. Um, my slightly alarming is also someone who is – just hitting the ball in the wrong place, one specific place. Um, and I don't know, This seem, it seems like every year we're talking about, every year for the past three years, we've been talking about underperformance with this guy. Um, and it's, uh, it's Christian Yelich, who, you know, is just, uh, I mean, his OPS plus is back down below 100. Um, and I don't know, it just hasn't been the same since... Uh, you know, winning MVP in 2018 and being runner-up in 2019. Um, yeah, it's it's been weird. But in his last 24 games specifically, and it's funny because, like, it seemed like there was going to be a comeback mounting. He was getting hot for a little bit, but he's, he's gotten back down to cold. As in his last 24 games, he's hitting 194 with a 505 OPS. In this span, he has two extra base hits, one barrel, and zero home runs. Uh, that's in a 24-game span. And that's, you know, after he hit, you know, 44 home runs in, uh, in 2019, but zero home runs in this 24 game span, uh, out of 179 qualifiers in this, uh, 24 game span, his slugging ranks third worst OPS ranks seventh worst and the weighted runs plus ranks ninth worst. And out of 194 hitters with 50 plus batted balls in this span, his expected Wobo ranks 15th worst. So it's not really a thing where he's getting uh, just very unlucky. And that's the reason he's not succeeding. We expect his statistics are also pretty bad. Uh, before the span, his barrel rate was 18.4%, which is very, very good. The league average is around 8%, 9%. But in this span, his barrel rate is 1.6%. He's only had one barrel in his last 24 games, uh, as mentioned before. And his barrel rate ranks 13th lowest out of 194. And before the span, his ground ball rate was 46%, which was around average. But in this span, his ground ball rate has gone up to 70.3%. Uh, 
his ground ball rate in this span is the highest out of 194 uh, batters with 50 plus batted balls uh, since May 14. And before this span, his line drive rate was 23.0%, which is also around average. And in this span, his line drive rate is only 12.5%, which is the lowest out of 195 or out of 194 qualifiers. Um, so he has literally in his last 24 games, the highest ground ball rate and the lowest line drive rate in uh, pretty much all of baseball, which is pretty bad. And, uh, you know, hitting 194 with a 505 OPS because of it. So Christian Yelich. Slightly alarming. Um, underperforming once again, unfortunately. But, uh, but anyway, uh, that does it for players to highlight. I guess we'll get into a preview of the weekend ahead. Um, I will be looking at series to watch. Daniel will be looking at some some day-by-day matchups as in terms of series to watch. um, I would say to, there's not too much, but uh, Giants-Dodgers at Oracle, that's going to be very interesting to see. Giants are, um, I mean, this is, you know, a repeat, obviously a long-standing rivalry uh, doesn't have to be explained, but, you know, also an NLDS rematch from last year and two teams that, um, you know, should be in the playoffs this year, probably. Um, and then the other series to watch would be Twins Rays at uh, Target Field. Um, Twins coming off a series loss, I believe, to the Yankees. Did they get swept or no? Uh, no, they won two out of three, or the Yankees won two out of three. Yeah, so a series loss, but competitive against the Yankees, while the Rays um, just came off a series against the Cardinals, where I believe they won that series. Um, yes. And Did you see that they played a sub-two-hour game yesterday? Um, I, I saw that was being alluded to. Yeah. That's pretty nice. Hour 54. That's very – yeah, love that. Love that. Um, what do you got for some day-by-day matchups? So tonight, there's a lot of good ones. Zach Gallon versus Kyle Gibson in Diamondbacks Phillies at Citizens Bank. The Phillies have not lost since they fired Joe Girardi. So that is absolutely worth noting. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm mad that White Sox-Dodgers happened this week and couldn't have happened this weekend. Because all three or all six of the New York, Chicago, and L.A. teams would have been playing each other in inter- interleague this weekend because the Cubs and Yankees are facing each other at Yankee Stadium and the Mets and Angels are facing each other at Angel Stadium. So um, we, we could have we could have had it. Oh, the, the double sick. or all the all the double uh, city teams yes. facing each other. Yeah. yeah. And not not in like same league or not inner city. Yeah. Yeah, the three seemingly random matchups that never really happened. We could have had that, but we do not. Anyway, Wade Miley versus Luis Severino tonight in Cubs-Yankees. Uh, Aaron Ashby will be pitching for the Brewers against the Nats. Paul Blackburn and Tristan McKenzie will be facing each other in A's Guardians at Progressive Field. Jose Barrios will be looking to build off his last start, which is very good, against the Tigers at Comerica. 
This is a good matchup. Ronesney Contreras versus Spencer Strider in Pirates Braves at Truist. Uh, two pretty under-the-radar, fiery young arms that are worth watching, I think. Uh, Drew Rasmussen versus Devin Smeltzer in Rays Twins. This guy for the White Sox that's pitching against the Rangers, his name is Davis Martin. He has a backwards name. Yeah. Martin true. Davis makes sense. Uh, Pablo Lopez versus Luis Garcia in Marlins Astros for the battle of who will be the worst team in 2013. <laughs> Luis Castillo will be facing the Cardinals in St. Louis for the Reds. Tyler McGill is coming off the IL to face the Angels. Uh, they haven't announced a starter, but Patrick Sandoval's spot is due up. So that would be an interesting matchup. Chad Cool versus Joe Musgrove is a very good one. That's probably a matchup of the night. Or no, maybe I didn't say it. I, I had a matchup of the night. Yeah, I guess that's probably it then. I actually I actually just spoiled it. Uh, Rich Hill will be facing the Mariners for the Red Sox tonight in Seattle. Walker Buehler versus Jacob Junis in Dodgers Giants. Like I just mentioned, matchup of the night comes from Rockies and Padres. Chad Cool versus Joe Musgrove. Yep, yep. Uh, Saturday, I'm, I know exactly what matchup of the night is, so I'm not revealing that one until the end, of course. In Rays Twins, Shane Boz will be coming off the aisle to make his season debut. That will be intriguing to watch. How about this one? Hunter Green versus Adam Wainwright. Um, Two very, very different types of pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. Hunter Green has been pitching much better over his last few starts. The problem has been the home run ball, and he's kind of avoided that as of late. Um, we kind of have a 2014 classic in Diamondbacks Phillies. One of these guys isn't particularly remembered for his contributions to the league in 2014, but he got Madison Bumgarner versus Zach Wheeler. Yeah, yeah. Zach Wheeler was in the league at that point. Uh, Eric Lauer versus Patrick Corbin in Brewers-Nats. Tyler Wells will be pitching for the Orioles against the Royals in Kaufman. He's been pitching a lot better recently. Frankie Montas versus Zach Plezak in A's versus Guardians. Uh, Mike Clevenger will be facing the Rockies for the Padres uh, at uh, Petco Park. Mackenzie Gore will be pitching for the Padres in the second end of the doubleheader that's happening Saturday. Kevin Gosman will be pitching for the Blue Jays at Comerica on Saturday. Zach Thompson versus Charlie Morton uh, in Pirates Braves. Zach Thompson has been pitching a lot better as well. Framber Valdez will be facing the Marlins for the Astros. Julio Arias will be facing the Giants for the Dodgers. Jordan Montgomery will be going for the Yankees against the Cubs. And Carlos Carrasco and Michael Lorenzen will be facing each other in Mets Angels. Lastly, Michael Lockell will be facing the Mariners for the Red Sox. He threw a complete game his last time out. Match of the night comes from uh, Rangers-White Sox. You have Martin Perez versus Lucas Giolito. Um, yeah. Two, yeah, like one who you expect to be doing well one to uh, biggest surprise this year, probably. Exactly. And then on Sunday, you have some good matchups as well. You have uh, Cole Irvin versus Cal Quantrill in A's Guardians. Cole Irvin has been benefiting a lot from the changed offensive climate. Ranger Suarez will be facing the Diamondbacks for the Phillies on Sunday. Jose Quintana versus Kyle Wright. I almost put this as matchup of the night, but I decided to go with another one. That's a very good matchup in Pirates-Braves. Jamison Tyon will be facing the Cubs for the Yankees in the finale of that series. Tarek Skubal will be facing the uh, Blue Jays in the finale of Blue Jays-Tigers at Comerica. You will have 
John Gray versus Michael Kopech. Michael Kopech has been awesome. He has a 200 ERA plus this season. Uh, we're finally seeing what we were hoping to see out of him for a while. Graham Ashcraft will be facing the Cardinals for the Reds. He has been under the radar in his last couple of starts. Might want to check him out. Carlos Rodon will be facing the Dodgers for the Giants. Herman Marquez versus Nick Martinez in uh, Rockies Padres. Garrett Whitlock for the Red Sox will be going against the Mariners. The Sunday night baseball matchup will be Taiwan Walker versus Patrick Sandoval. Okay, so I guess he's not going on Friday then. Match of the day comes from Marlins Astros, Edward Cabrera versus Justin Verlander. And I say that because Edward Cabrera has been must watch over his last couple of starts. Uh, yeah, he's been 90, 96 mile an hour changeups. Yeah, he's uh, he's another reason why the Marlins rotation is no joke and they just need to add to that offense to make that, that team a playoff team. Exactly. Like, uh, they're, they're, they're all so fun to watch. Yeah. Um, wild that they've, they've been able to retain all that talent. Well, um, that shall do it for, uh, for this installment of Above Replacement Radio. You hope, we hope you enjoyed this one. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to our YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. Uh, if you are following up or if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Kern. Follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you on uh, the next time we, we broadcast um, where we will be talking all the happenings of Major League Baseball. Once again, we will see you then.